And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello and happy holidays, folks. Luke Giaconetti here, welcoming all of you to the very first Earth Destruction Directive Christmas Special. Now, as it is the holiday season, I thought, what better way to celebrate this special time with family and friends and goodwill towards men and peace on Earth than we're talking about giant monsters leveling the city to the ground. So, welcome aboard, and uh, we got a very good show for you today, so let's get right into it. Now, there's not much in the way of crossover between the worlds of Daikaiju and Christmas. Uh, giant monsters don't lend themselves well to the holiday season, you know, other than toys and gifts. And if I was to run down all the giant monster stuff I've gotten for Christmas over the years, this would be a four-plus-hour show, and let's face it, no one wants to hear that. So that got me to thinking. What if I expanded my range to look at all tokusatsu, not just daikaiju-related stuff? Going down this path, my mind immediately sprang to the most famous tokusatsu TV show here in the United States, which is, of course, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Being every bit American as it is Japanese, Power Rangers has done several Christmas special episodes over the years, one of which we're going to take a look at here today as a little holiday <coughs> treat. I'm Dreaming of a White Ranger was released on a special VHS tape in September of 1995, and it aired in slightly cut-down form on Fox Kids that November. Taking place smack dab in the middle of Season 3 of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, this episode is notable for the fact that it contains 100% American footage without a second of Super Sentai footage in it. There's not a lot of Power Ranger episodes that have uh, uh, no Super Sentai footage. This is one of them. As such, the connection to tokusatsu in the strict sense of the word is a bit tenuous, but you know what? It's my show. So, here we go. Let's get on with the story. It's Christmas Eve in Angel Grove, and our favorite teams, Tommy, Kim, Rocky, Adam, Aisha, and Billy, secretly the Power Rangers, are helping to prepare for a big holiday party at Ernie's Juice Bar. While the boys help with the decorations, Aisha and Kim help the kids rehearse for their choral concert that evening. Even Bulk and Skull are on hand as chaperones from the Angel Grove Police Department, with the extra bonus that Bulk will be playing Santa Claus with Skull as his reindeer helper. While most everyone is festive, one little girl, Becky, is sad, confiding in Kim that her father works all the time that all she wants for Christmas is for him to be able to see her sing that night. Kim, a bit blue herself because her mother and stepfather are in France for the holidays, assures Becky that her father still loves her, even if he has to work. On the moon, Lord Zed is fed up, since he pretty much hates Christmas. Tired of his complaining, his wife Rita Repulsa tells him that he says the same thing every year, but never does anything about it. To which Zed reminds her that 
they've only been married a year, so how would she know? To her surprise, Zed actually has a plan. He sends his brother-in-law, Rito, and a squad of Tengas to Santa's workshop at the North Pole, where the elves are forced to make Zed's hypnospin, a top which will brainwash children into obeying Lord Zed. Zordon contacts the team, and they teleport to the command center. After being briefed on the situation, Zordon tells the team that their powers will not work at the North Pole due to the Pole's, and I quote, unique polarity and a cross-current of holiday magic. Yeah. Anyway, Alpha 5 teleports the unmorphed rangers to the workshop. Kim and Aisha lure Rito outside, where the rangers discover that the monster's powers won't work at the North Pole either. Zed sends down Goldar as reinforcements, but the two hench monsters are overwhelmed by the ranger's snowball barrage, no really, snowball barrage, and then tripped by a pair of elves wielding a giant ribbon. The monsters are tied up with a pretty bow and sent back to the moon, along with all of Zed's hypnospins. This doesn't really phase Rito, who gives Goldar a present. Sadly, we never get to see what the present was. Crisis averted, the rangers help Santa and the elves prep for their big night before heading home to Angel Grove. That night at the party, Bulk and Skull have their hands full with kids eager to meet Santa Claus. But Becky is thrilled when her father arrives in time to see the concert. Tommy and Kim share a moment and a kiss under the mistletoe. But then the pink ranger gets a surprise of her own when her mom and stepfather arrive, vowing that they couldn't stand Kim being all alone at Christmas. The kids sing Silent Night, and the cast gets on stage to wish the audience Merry Christmas. The end. Eh, yeah, definitely a, a Christmas-themed episode, and uh, we've got I've, I've got some interesting things about this episode. I'm just going to get right into it. I mean, what what can you say about a show that's already a bit crazy, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was, and then you introduce the tra- you know traditional secular Christmas elements like this one did. So. Oddly, there are two versions of this episode. There's the video version and the one that was actually broadcast. The video version has some extended scenes to pad out the running length to be closer to about 28 minutes. Uh, The only one really of note is that it includes a scene with Cat, who would be introduced as Kimberly's replacement as the Pink Ranger in the next produced episode, which was called A Ranger Catastrophe. Now, Cat's appearance places the episode in an odd spot chronologically, since it means that it had to take place at some point before Kim left the team, but the episode was released on video before Cat was introduced. When the episode had aired, Kimberly had already left, so it was already a bit confusing from that standpoint. Now, in any event, the episode available commercially, and I watched this on my Shout Factory DVD sets, is the aired version, meaning Cat doesn't make an appearance, and that's probably for the best, as far as chronology is concerned. We do get a glimpse of the video version over the end credits, where there's a scene with Rito and the head elf discussing the Christmas spirit, and the head elf says that Rito has Christmas spirit deep down in his heart, to which Rito replies, I ain't got a heart! I love Rito. Rito is a great, he was great addition to the cast, and when they made him a regular, him and Goldar were a, a great comedy duo. I really liked them. Now, these being the Season 3 opening credits, this is from the first half, so it features the U.S. exclusive combination of the Ninja Ultra Zord, which is the combination of the Ninja Mega Falcon Zord and Titanus, the Carrier Zord from Season 1. Now, the reason why this was done is that there was no large carrier-type Zord, like Titanus or Tor from Season 2, in the Kaku Ranger footage, so... 
in order to keep the Ultra Zord toy line going, they, they rejiggered Titanus and let the toys merge with him. Now, the interesting thing is that both the Ninja Ultra Zord and the later Shogun Ultra Zord are made from toys. And I, I mean this literally. When you see them on screen, they are toys that are manipulated uh, and with special effects uh, opticals laid over them. So they look really chintzy and plastic because they are kind of mostly chintzy and plastic. They're not production-grade models. They are children's toys. Also interesting, of course, the Shogun Ultra Zord. The Shogun Zords, they're... How do I put this? In Kaku Ranger, there are, are five Rangers. There's no... And then Ninjor, the character who is uh, known as Ninjor in the U.S., is their sixth uh, member. So there's no pink Kaku Ranger. Well, of course, in, in Power Rangers, they... they there's six of them because they have the five from Zoo Ranger, the five originals, plus Tommy as the White Ranger, which is from uh, Die Ranger. And so they basically had to make the white Shogun Zord pink. So if you buy a Shogun Zord release, you get red, blue, black, yellow, pink. But if you get the Kaku Ranger release, it's red, blue, black, yellow, white. So that's they made it pink. So when you see the Shogun Ultra Zord, it's got a pink limb instead of a white limb, because the Falcon Zord, which Tommy piloted in the U.S., was actually a sentient machine in Kaku Ranger, so it didn't have a pilot. It's it's all very confusing. And at some point, if I ever do a full run through of this, we'll get into this in a little more detail. But if you see the Ninja Ultra Zord or the Shogun Ultra Zord, just remember what you see on screen. You quite literally could go to KB Toys and purchase for yourself. During the rehearsal of the concert with the kids, we see Amy Jo Johnson, who of course plays Kimberly, playing guitar, and Karen Ashley, who of course plays Aisha, singing. Now, Amy Jo Johnson did record a few albums as a solo artist, and she did play guitar in her albums, I'm pretty sure. And Karen Ashley was the lead singer of the short-lived uh, R&B girl group Crush, who the only song I know from them was on the Mo Money soundtrack. They did a kind of remix of So Groovy Now, which is actually pretty pretty catchy. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they ever released any any further material. But I thought it was funny just to see the two uh, Ranger actors who have musical backgrounds being involved in the music scene there. We get some continuity here in the form of Kim's parents. Now, we had later, we had earlier learned, excuse me, in the episode Return of an Old Friend, which had family day at, the, uh, at Ernie's Juice Bar, that Kim's folks are separated and that her mom remarried a French guy, and that's why she lives abroad. So nice to see a little bit of continuity callback in a show that typically didn't have much in the way of continuity, but didn't eschew it either. It had some, so always nice to get a little bit of continuity, and a continuity that actually is correct. Bulk and Skull, as usual for this era, are awesome. Uh, the shot of them drooling over donuts, which was in the opening credits of uh, Season 3, comes from this episode, which is odd because it appeared months before it ever appeared on the show. And it's a, a very famous little shot of them eyeing these two donuts. Later, they make for a, a very strange pair as Santa and uh, a semi-punk-looking reindeer. Because Bulk looks fairly standard as Santa Claus, but Skull dressed as a reindeer, he's got like a leather jacket on, and he's wearing one earring, but it's one of those light-up Christmas bulb earrings. So it's, it's, they're, they're great. They're a hoot. I, they, Bulk and Skull are very fondly remembered, and they lasted a long time on the show because they, you know, they, they just worked really well providing comic relief on a show that on occasion did get pretty intense as far as the action and all that, and you could always count on Bulk and Skull to, 
to lighten the mood. And of course, they do have their great bit in the finale of In Space, which is beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here. Now, Zed's hypnospin looks oddly like a dreidel. And there's a lot of other references to Hanukkah in the episode. Now, of course, Zed did dance to Avanagila at his wedding, although do not believe people on the internet that say he wore a yarmulke and stepped on a glass and yelled Mazel Tov, because that's myth. That didn't actually happen. But if you watch the wedding, they do dance around to Havanagila. During the concert rehearsal, the kids specifically sing one Christmas song and one Hanukkah song, and there's nods to Hanukkah all over the juice bar. We see a Star of David, we see a big decorative dreidel, and, um, you know, this seems like, okay, it's just trying to be inclusive. Well, it's a little bit more than that, I think, because Haim Saban, the uh, president of Saban, which was the people producing Power Rangers, he's Israeli. So having all these nods to Hanukkah in there, besides being inclusive, as Power Rangers typically was, it's done, I'm, I'm sure, to honor Mr. Saban and, uh, you know, just, just throw it out there. It, it's, it's neat to see. I always enjoy that kind of stuff. And it's not beating you over the head. It's pretty subtle. But if you're looking for it, you can definitely see it. Okay, now the scene where Rito and the Tengas invade Santa's workshop. Let's just say just got real up in here. Now, this is a show known for inane things happening all the time. I mean, you know, this this is a show that gave us the pudgy pig, okay? This may be the most inane thing ever. Seeing, you know, uh, Rito, who's this big skeleton guy, half of him is, is bone-colored, half of him is camouflage, and an army of bird monsters ransacking Santa's workshop and tying Santa up and threatening the elves. It's, uh, it's, it's gloriously ridiculous, and I absolutely love it. At about the 8 minute 15 second mark into the episode, we get Tommy's legendary catchphrase of, Oh man! <laughs> I think there is an element of the Power Rangers drinking game. If Tommy says, Oh man, you gotta take a drink. and You'd get one out of this one. Zordon's explanation that the North Pole has a unique polarity and a cross-current of holiday magic? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's all I can say to that. I don't mean to rip off Bill Cosby, but really? A cross-current of holiday magic. Ugh, that's, I, I tell you what, certainly uh, points for creativity, but at the same time, that's a pretty weak cop-out. At one point at the North Pole, we see Rito wearing a Santa hat, armed with a foam bat and a giant candy cane, as he harasses the elves with the giant candy cane. Now, just for reference, the character that became Rito in Kaku Ranja was a maniacal psychopath who enjoyed killing humans. Just saying. And of course, Rito and Goldar are defeated with snowballs. They're, the threat is dealt with using slapstick. Now this is an accusation I see leveled at the show somewhat commonly online, but it's not really accurate. This is one of very few instances where the threat is dealt with in a slapstick manner. Usually the monsters might be a little silly or outlandish. I say a little silly or a little outlandish. The monsters could be silly or outlandish, but they're dealt with in a serious manner with the rangers defeating them. Here, it's definitely done with a very nod towards being not even approaching any type of even fantasy violence. Very family-friendly dealing with, you know, throwing snowballs at monsters and then tripping them up. 
the sign-off at the very end of the episode breaks the fourth wall. All of the uh, principals of the episode gather on the stage, look directly at the camera, and wish uh, the audience a Merry Christmas, including putting that on the screen. I thought that was a nice touch. Something, again, very commonplace in Christmas specials, especially, I think, in the 70s and 80s. I distinctly remember this in pretty much every Hanna-Barbera animated Christmas special, uh, that the cast would look at the screen and yell, Merry Christmas, and then we'd, we'd fade out. And they do it here, and it's a nice a nice touch. I really like that. And, of course, we get the little dun-dun-dun-dun-dun jingle outro, as all episodes of Power Rangers had. Now, as an episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I'm Dreaming of a White Ranger is pretty rough going. L- let me address the title for a real quick second here. Now, obviously, the title's a pun, and I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, but this is not a Tommy-centric episode. This is, if anything, a Kimberly-centric episode, but I'm guessing I'm Dreaming of a Pink Christmas just didn't have the same ring to it. Now, as I said, it's it's pretty yeah, pretty awful as a Power Rangers episode. There's no morphing, there's no fighting, there's no zords. But I can see what Saban was doing here. This is a harmless Christmas special, fit for consumption by the whole family. In content, if not in quality. It's saccharine and schmaltzy, even by the standard set by a show that pretty much universally featured positive community uh, messages and happy endings and also putting it into the genre of a Christmas special known for its uh, overly sweet content. It's clearly made on the cheap to put out on video and eke some money out of parents or grandparents of Power Ranger-obsessed kids. Why else would you put it out on video rather than simply releasing it as an episode? But to that end, you know what? It succeeds. I could see a lot of kids getting this under their Christmas tree as a stocking stuffer from Grandma or Mom and Dad, and you know, along with their... Uh, you know, set of ninja zords and uh, ninja action uh, rangers for Christmas that year. So I could see that. It's a silly show, ultimately, with the best bits really being reserved for the silly characters. In this case, Bulk and Skull and Rito. And you throw Goldar into the mix, although Goldar doesn't get as much to do. Those were the comic relief characters of the show by this point, and they get the funniest bits because, you know, there's not much for the rangers to do. There's no real threat. Uh, there's nothing they have to really overcome. There's no solution that Billy needs to engineer. There's no uh, big fight for uh, Tommy and Rocky and Adam and Aisha to have. Kim does get her moments to shine uh, to show her compassion and empathy, which I always thought was one of the best traits of Kimberly as a character. I, personally, and, and I don't know if I'm going to catch flack for this or not, I put the original Pink Ranger up in the top tier of female superheroes. Uh, right up there with, you know, Wonder Woman, Batgirl, the Invisible Woman, because of not only her, her strength and her powers, but her great compassion and heart and love. And I've always thought that because of Amy Jo Johnson's long tenure on the show, we really got to see Kimberly grow as a character and move beyond her very, very silly Valley Girl stereotype that she started with to be a very well-rounded character when she eventually left. And and we see bits of that here, and I, and I like the Kimberly parts of this episode. But I like him in most things, you know. I think everybody, if you're the right age, had a bit of a thing for Amy Jo Johnson. I always liked Thuy Trang, who unfortunately passed away several years ago in a, in a car wreck. Uh, but, you know, it was always welcome to see Amy Jo Johnson. She looks super cute in this episode. Karen Ashley looks great, too. Amazing to see everybody look so young. <laughs> Especially Jason David Frank, who, you know, we've seen him come back several times on Power Rangers. And, you know, now he, he looks like a little kid almost watching these early ones, but... In closing, 
I'm Dreaming of a White Ranger, not exactly a Yuletide classic, but not bad if you're like me and like your eggnog spiked. So uh, you can check this one out. It's on the Season 3 DVD set of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, available from Shout Factory. If you go to the uh, visit the Amazon.com link on 2TrueFreaks.com, you can go and pick it up. I personally have the big box set containing the entire Mighty Morphin era. It's in there. And, um, you know, just throw it in, have some laughs, and have some good time. Now, I want to take a moment to wish everybody a very happy and safe holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate this time of year. I hope you have a great season, and you get to spend time with family and friends and remember what's really important. And, uh, you know, it's not just about the commercialism and the consumerism. And remember that all the things you have to be thankful for in your life and think about those who may not have as much to be thankful for this year. And Happy New Year to everybody. If I don't talk to you before then, let's all stay safe out there. And as always, keep them stomping, and Merry Christmas. Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, we will read them on the show. If you'd like to visit our forum, you can head over to www.forumforgeeks.com and come on down to the Two True Freaks section. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Anything you buy during your next Amazon session after clicking that link will help keep the lights on here at Two True Freaks. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.